there were is they had a, a Land Rover. And if you know much about Zimbabwe, you know that's it's a pretty, a pretty uh, uh, third world situation. Not a lot of improved roads and uh, a lot of remote villages. As a matter of fact, that's where uh, Mary Kate Easterwood is right now. She's over there ministering at a children's home in Zimbabwe. But what he had was is he had a Land Rover that was retrofitted with like a TV screen in the back of it. And so he would drive to these remote villages and he would raise the back of this Land Rover and he would show the Jesus film and then he would explain it to the people that are there with the translator and he would invite them to come and to follow Christ. Well, on one particular occasion, he was doing the same thing that he does all of the time and he had, he had rolled into to the village and he had raised up the hatch of the Land Rover and he had shown the, shown the, the video and two men uh, were among the crowd of those that came to faith. And after the service was over, they approached the missionary and they said, we really want you to come to our village. We want you to come and tell our families, come and tell our children, show them this video. And so they began to talk about that and talk about what that would look like and the logistics of it. And all of a sudden the missionary realized it wasn't possible. That where they lived, there was not a road cut to. It was only walking paths. And so there was no way for him to be able to drive his Land Rover and be able to show the video. Well, a couple of weeks kind of rocked on and he didn't give it any more thought. He continued about his work and doing the things that he always did. And he said one day he'd been doing the same thing again and at the end of the service, two men approached him again. He said they were obviously dirty and they looked worn down to the threads and exhausted. And he realized after a couple of minutes that it was the same two men that he had talked to just a couple of weeks earlier. And he said that they began, they came and they approached him and they were very animated. They began to say, you can come now, you can come now, you can come now. He said, guys, wait, what are you talking about? We've already discussed this. It's, it's not possible for me to be able to get my vehicle to your village. And he said, you don't understand. We've spent the last two weeks with machetes cutting through the jungle. And now we've made a road wide enough to be able to get from here all the way to our village. Can you imagine? Can you imagine putting your life on hold because you wanted your people to hear the gospel? Can you imagine taking nothing more than a machete and chopping your way through the dense Zimbabwean jungle so that your family and your loved ones might hear the truth about Christ that you have heard and that has so delivered you? What would cause two people to do such a thing as this? What would compel these men to do such work, such a feat? It was that they had seen Christ. They had seen Christ. They had been converted. They had been made alive. And they used to be dead. They had been made well. And they had used to been diseased. But now, now they had hope. Now they had the hope of glory. And they knew it was the remedy for their village. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what New Testament Christianity looks like. That is a picture of what it means to come into the gospel, apply the gospel, and then live out the gospel. And this is what we're trying to accomplish in Swaziland, in Salt Lake City, but brothers and sisters, not just out there, but right here. That's what our discipleship process is about. 
It's about being connected to Christ and his church. It's about being discipled up under the commandments of Christ and then being sent out on the mission of Christ. It's about finding hope in Christ and then proclaiming hope in Christ at all costs. And so this morning we're going to draw to a close this, this sermon series that we've had over the last couple of weeks by the crescendo of our discipleship process, and that is that we are to go to everyone. We are to go to everyone. We are to connect together, disciple one another, and then go to everyone. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So you have the Gospels, you have Acts, you have First and Second Corinthians, then you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, that's where you are in the New Testament. So when you get to Colossians chapter 1, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 24 through 29. And God's Word says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. In Colossians chapter 1, what we're going to see, and this is actually, the passage that we read is broken up probably in your Bible, but it's actually one sentence in the original language. This is one thought coming from the mind of Paul. And from this one thought coming from the mind of Paul, we're going to see three reasons that we must go to everyone. The first reason that we're going to see is that we go as Christ's body. We must go as Christ's body. In Colossians 1, at the end here, we, what we have is Paul giving us the vision and the aim, the motivation behind all of his ministry. He's explained to us why it is he toils and labors and, wa- and works. Why it is he burns the candle late at night and wakes up early in the morning. Why it is he struggles and wrestles and works out with the very power and energy of God himself. Paul writes these words to the church at Colossae and he writes them from prison. He's in a Roman prison and he's in a Roman prison for the very purpose, for the very reason of preaching the gospel. It is loving Christ, serving Christ, living on mission for Christ that has led to great suffering in the life of Paul. That has led to him not being able to go where he wants to go, not being able to do what he wants to do. So what he writes at the end here is stunning, really. It's breathtaking. If you slow down and you place it in the context and you don't just blow through the text, but you just think about where this was coming from and the life that was behind it and the heart that was written and the emotions that must have been there. Paul says, am I suffering? Yes, I'm suffering. This is not how I would draw this up. This is not how I would prefer it. 
this is not what I feel like doing. Am I suffering? Yes, I am afflicted in every way. But am I rejoicing? Also, yes. Also, yes. I praise God, and though I'm suffering, I worship God through my, I am thankful for my suffering. As a matter of fact, Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. And over the course of all of his writings, he admits freely that he is afflicted. He admits freely that he is suffering. And yet not a single time do we read that Paul is lamenting his suffering. Instead, he writes a letter like 2 Timothy, probably the very last letter that he wrote. And he writes it to his young protege and he says, Timothy, share in the sufferings of Christ. Share in the cross of Christ. Rejoice in your sufferings, my son. Rejoice in living a cross-stained, cross-marked life. So the question How can a man write this? Why did Paul view suffering in the way that he did? Because we view suffering as an affliction. That means that we are under the judgment of God. We often view suffering as being the discipline of God. We often view suffering as being the anger of God. And Paul, he views suffering in his ministry as a blessing from God. So why? I think there's a couple of reasons that he gives us here in verse 24. The first reason that Paul viewed it this way, the first way that he is able to rejoice is because of what it meant to him. What it meant to him. Way back in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was converted on the Damascus road, Jesus says this out of his own lips. He says, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, there's a strange saying here in verse 24 that might catch us off guard. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And this is the strange part. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a strange thing to hear, isn't it? Lacking in Christ's afflictions? What does Paul mean by that? Is Paul trying to tell us that in some way Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient? Is Paul in some way trying to tell us that in some way more has to be done that we might be saved other than Christ on his cross, other than Christ offering himself? No, that's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul is not in any way undermining the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. He's not in any way undermining the sufficiency of Christ's cross. Instead, what he is saying is that the suffering of the body of Christ isn't yet finished. It isn't completely fulfilled. That Christ in his body bore the stripes and Christ in his body was scourged and Christ in his body was nailed to the tree that you and I might be made right with God, that we might be reconciled to God. But now who are we? We are Christ's body. We are Christ's body. And as Christ's body was scourged, and as Christ's body was striped, and as Christ's body was offered to the Lord on the cross, so it is for us. That the suffering isn't over yet because the resurrection hasn't come for us yet. That we are to take up our cross daily and follow after Christ. That, that what it meant for Paul to suffer, the way that he was able to rejoice, was that his suffering meant that he was following Jesus. 
It meant that he was fulfilling his ministry. It meant that he was living on mission exactly as Christ had called for him to do. He knew because he was enduring as Christ had endured. He was afflicted as Christ was afflicted. And those sufferings that were yet to come, those sufferings that were intended for his metaphorical body, that is the church, was being absorbed into the body of Paul. And it will be absorbed into our bodies as well. You see, brothers and sisters, suffering from the perspective of Paul is a temporary marker of an eternal blessing. Did you get that? Let me say that one more time. Suffering for the disciple of Christ from the, from the big picture of redemption is a temporary marker of an eternal blessing. Disciples rejoice in, in sharing Christ's suffering because they know as they share in Christ's cross, they will share in Christ's resurrection. That as they share in the affliction of Christ, they will share in the reign and in the glory and in the inheritance of Christ. So for all of us who think of blessing and we equate that with financial prosperity... For all of us who think of blessing and equate that with good health. For all of us that think of blessing and equate that with an easy and, and, and smooth life. Could it be that our signals have gotten crossed? Did you know that not one time throughout the entirety of the New Testament does the Bible use the word blessing to mean financial blessing? No, the word blessing means joy that is abiding, peace that is without understanding, contentment that cannot be shaken. What if an easy life is not a sign of God's blessing, but of God's judgment? What if an easy life is not the evidence of a well-lived life, but rather a life that does not have the hand and anointing of God upon it? What if an easy life is God allowing us to build up our treasures here because we have no treasures reserved for us in the next life? What if we are misinterpreting our current circumstances and missing eternal realities? What if easy, prosperous living is evidence that you don't share in the afflictions of Christ and that you will not share in the resurrection of Christ what if happiness comes through sacrifice and God's blessing is evidenced by suffering I ask you church who is more blessed a missionary who lives in a place that endangers their children, that isn't sure how they're going to have enough to eat, or the Christian that professes Christ but pursues a prestigious address and yet another promotion, living in total indulgence. Who is more blessed? The young lady that travels uninhibited wherever she goes at whatever expense she can cost. Or the woman who dies on her deathbed surrounded by the children that she's fostered. Could the emptiness of our day be the result of the avoidance of affliction and the avoidance of hardship and the avoidance of suffering? Because for Paul, hardship and affliction and the suffering meant he was following Christ meant that he was following Christ. But there's another reason that he's able to rejoice. Not only because of what it meant, but also because of what it accomplished. And this is exciting. 
Not just what it meant, but what it accomplished. What did it accomplish? What does he say? Let's read verse 24 together again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for my sake. And in my flesh I am filling up the lacking, what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. For the sake of his body. That is the church. That is, his body suffered for the good and the expansion and the strengthening of the kingdom of Christ. The church of Christ. What Paul realized was that my suffering, my affliction, painful as it is, though I wish it were different than it is, is serving to expand the kingdom of God. It is being served to mature the people of God, to strengthen the church of God. See, Christ came to suffer so that we might live. And now we go to suffer so that others might live. Christ came to suffer so that we might live. And now we go to suffer that others might live. We were healed by his wounds. And now we take on not only that mission, but at the very same time, that method. And do you see? Do you see how this vanquishes the enemies of Christ? Think about this. When, you, when you're serving the Lord honorably, and you're serving the Lord faithfully, I've heard some of you give this testimony. It's like there's no harder time in your life, right? Isn't that the truth? The closer you get to God, the more on mission that you live, the more determined you are to bring God glory with your life. It's like all of a sudden your health fails. All of a sudden, the job that's just kind of clocked along for 20 years dries up or turns impossible. All of a sudden, bills begin to pile up, and all of a sudden, you don't really know how you're going to make ends meet. It's like the closer you get to the Lord, the more afflicted your life becomes, right? And what the enemy seeks to do is he seeks to use that to crush and to stamp out the fire of Christ's church. But what does Paul say? What does Paul say? That which Satan intends to destroy us will be used by Jesus to spread us, to multiply us, to mature us, to increase us. It is Jesus punching Satan right in the eye, man. But the very afflictions and sufferings meant to kill the body are that which make the body stronger and make the body bigger and make the body better. That which is meant to stop our ministries is used by Christ to increase our ministries and to flourish our ministries. There's a Romanian pastor by the name of Joseph Son. He's a man that has endured so much persecution and suffering in his life for the sake of the gospel. And he articulates it like this. This is so beautiful. Christ's cross was for propitiation. That is, Christ's cross was to satisfy the wrath of God. It was to reconcile us to the Father. It was to make us good with God forever, to usher us in to the kingdom of God. Christ's cross was for propitiation, but ours is for propagation. David Platt says it like this, Christ suffered to accomplish salvation, we suffer to spread salvation. That which the enemy intends to crush the church is used by Christ as a means and method to spread the message. To purify the church. To strengthen the believers. And we have to see this church. If we're going to live on the mission that Christ has called us to, if we're going to truly make disciples of all nations, 
if we're going to truly influence the Chakalaka Valley for the glory of God, we have to see that our going comes from the cross and leads to the cross. Our going comes from the cross and leads to the cross. Jesus came so that he might suffer on the cross and secure our joy. And that's why we go. We go and we suffer in our going that we might secure the joy of our neighbor and the joy of our friends and the joy of our co-workers and the joy of our classmates and the joy of all peoples, of all nations, of all tribes, and of all languages. We go because Christ came. We go the way that Christ came. The salvation of the nations, the salvation of your neighbors, necessitates your willingness to suffer. It necessitates your willingness to be uncomfortable. It necessitates your willingness to take up your cross and pursue Christ together. Another, that's another reason we must be connected together. Our going power is reduced. Our going willingness is reduced if we do not have the connection of the body of Christ to encourage us in the midst of our affliction. To encourage us in the midst of our hardship. See, the discipleship process that we're talking about is the mobilization of the cross. It's the mobilization of the cross. It's about Jesus' disciples taking on Jesus' cross so that more might be set free through Jesus' cross. It's enduring the suffering of Christ that others might enjoy the salvation of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is not a rest on our laurels, pat ourselves on the back process to build a bigger church. This is a process that takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into the cross of Jesus Christ that we might raise up more children of God from all of the peoples of God. This is a process that allows us to replace all of these decaying, rotting treasures with an eternal reward of glory. The hope and glory, Christ with us. Iron City, we are the body of Christ. We better look like it. We must live like it. Because though we will be crucified in this life, we will be resurrected when Christ returns on his victory horse. The second reason that we see that we are to go is that we are to go to present, go to present Christ's bride. We, go, we must go to present Christ's bride. Read verse 28 with me, if you will. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what he's saying? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So in the beginning what we saw, what we saw was the method. We go as the body of Christ. And as Christ's body was offered, as Christ's body was afflicted, so our bodies are offered. So our bodies are afflicted. But now what we see is the motive. What we see is something that is so precious that in the midst of our worst day, in the midst of our hardest hour of ministry, in the midst of our darkest day with Christ, we can rejoice. We can praise his name that we share in the sufferings of the cross. What Paul gives is the aim and the vision of his ministry in verse 8. He, you, can, you can almost hear how personal this is for Paul. 
He had been in places where they were worshiping wooden idols. He had been in places where the entire community was built around, uh, around fake temples. Not unlike our day. And he had watched as moms and dads had been baptized together. He had watched as entire families had been delivered by the gospel. He had watched as former pagan worshipers were now preaching and leading in the churches. He had watched as those who were indifferent to the things of God were now missionaries with a zeal for the things of God. He had watched as these things had transformed entire cities, entire regions. And so you can imagine for Paul what he's, he's envisioning that day in which Christ has returned and he's standing before the Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's thinking, I'm going to present the bride. I'm going to present the bride. We're going to sing the Revelation song to Christ. We're going to tell him how worthy he is. We're going to tell him how wonderful he is. And I don't intend to present an apathetic, biblically illiterate, spiritually infantile church. No, no, I'm going to present the bride in all of her glory. I'm going to present the bride longing for her husband. I'm going to present the bride assured and secure in Christ. I'm going to present the bride for everything that she is meant to be so that I can bring her one by one by one all of the disciples that have been converted and say, Jesus, see your bride and be blessed. Can you imagine that day, brothers and sisters, in which you will take those that you have brought into the kingdom of God those that you have poured and invested your life in, and you will bring them and offer them to Christ himself and say, Christ, see your bride. Christ, see your people. Christ, be praised today. See, this brings into our mind something that is an Old Testament promise. In Psalm chapter 2, and verse 8, it says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. He says, him we proclaim that we might present everyone mature in Christ. You see how these come together? Here's what he's saying. We get to be a part of presenting to Christ his inheritance. We do. That we proclaim Christ to all peoples that all peoples might be presented to Christ. See, what, what Psalm 2 is, is Psalm 2 is, a, is, a, is a, a, a promise of the birthright going to the Messiah. A promise that from all nations and all peoples, God will raise up a new nation. He will raise up a new and a greater Israel. And he will present them as the inheritance to his son, as, as his heritage, as his birthright, as his blessing. That all of the nations will come together to form one nation and they will sing in their tongue to the glory of the Lamb who was slain. But if you wonder, why would we go if God is sovereign? Why would we go if in Him they were chosen before the foundation of Why would we go? We would go because we are the means of collecting the church. Y'all, y'all, do you see this? Do you see this? You are God's plan to present his son with his bride. You, wimpy, hot and cold, up and down, in and out, you. God is going to use you. 
It is Christ with you. It is Christ in you. But it is you. You're going to go to Swansea Land and gather the church. You're going to go to Salt Lake and gather the church. You're going to go to Lodge Creek and gather the church. You're going to go to Honda and White Plains High. And you're going to gather the church. And on the day of his victory, on the day in which he returns in power and glory, you will take them and you will say, Jesus, see your blessing. See your inheritance. And I can promise you, my brothers and sisters, there will not be a single affliction that you have faced on this earth that will even hold a candle to the glory that you will know in that day. The joy that you will know in that day. Oh, brothers and sisters, are you going on mission? Are you living to collect the church? Are you living to present Christ, his bride, his heritage, his birthright? You see, for Paul, he says, I want to, mature, I want to present them mature in Christ. That is, going isn't just telling, going is investing. Going isn't just telling, going is investing. For Paul, it isn't just about raise your hand and, and sign on the dotted line and let me move on to the next town. Let me move on to the next evangelistic event. For Paul, it is about growing disciples in the Lord. It is about teaching them, as Christ has said in the Great Commission, to observe all that he has commanded to us. It is about taking their affections for Christ and plunging them deeper into the glory of Christ. It is about wetting their appetite so that they're hungrier for Christ, so that they're thirstier for Christ. It is about unveiling as much of the scriptures as they can do. It's about raising up preachers that can do the same. It's about raising up teachers that can do the same. It's about young, older women discipling the younger women to see the glory of Christ. It's about the older men discipling the younger men to see the glory of Christ. For Paul, it's about the, the pouring out of his life in the shape of a cross so that the disciples that are presented will know Jesus when they see him. Can you imagine? Going requires investing your life to be a disciple so that you make disciples. And that's why our discipleship process is built to be cyclical, right? That you connect, you are discipled, you are sent to do what? To connect others, disciple others, and send others. That's what this is about. This, this isn't about building a great corporation. This isn't about building a strong organization. This isn't about having the biggest empire that we can have. What this is about is this is about expanding the Lord's glory, expanding the Lord's church so that we might present to him his bride mature in Christ. That's why if God is calling you to preach, you should go preach. That's why if God is calling you to teach, you should go teach. That's why you should use your spiritual gifts to build up the strength of the church and to sharpen one another and to inspire one another that you might mature one another and send one another and present them to Christ. That's why we go to Salt Lake City. Is that we go by ourselves? No, we go and we take others with us so that they can be discipled in going. When we go to camp, we come and we pour our lives into teenagers and we strengthen them. For what purpose? For, to bring them into the kingdom, yes. To strengthen them in the kingdom, yes. But to send them out to build the kingdom. Iron City, I do not want us to be another biblically bloated, spiritually stagnated church. The world has enough of those. The world has enough Christians that know all of the answers that can quote verses, 
but live lives that accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God. The, the world has enough churches that just meet together once a week, sing a couple of songs, get the sermon out of the way, and then move on to lunch. The world is filled with those types of churches, the type of church I'm calling for us to be, the type of church that our discipleship process is promoting within our church, is that we would be a church that takes our faith and puts it to work. Because faith without works is dead. And faith without works is joyless. And faith without works is discontent. And faith without works is powerless. Church, let us be a church that presents to Christ his bride. Let us be a church that expands the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how it would energize your faith if you got to be a part of the life change of someone else? Are you apathetic right now? Are, are, has your zeal waned? Are you, are you kind of in a rut? Invest your life in someone else. Invest your life in someone else. Share the gospel with someone else. See someone else come into the kingdom of God and feel the fire for the Lord stoked in your life. The final reason that I want us to see this morning is that we must go to spread Christ's glory. We must go to spread Christ's glory. You hope you see at the center of every single reason is Christ. It's Christ. <laughs> it's, it's not a better show. It's not a bigger budget. It, it, it's not better programs. It's not a daycare center. It's Christ. It's Christ. And it all culminates in a passion, in a zeal for Christ's glory. You see this in verses 20, in verse 27, verses 26 and 27, let's read 27 together. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But Paul is reminding us of something. Paul is reminding us here of the scope of our mission, the scope of our going. Paul is reminding us that the Messiah was promised to the Jews, but the mystery of the Messiah, the mystery that the Jews never realized was that the Messiah was promised to them so that he might save the world. That he was, a, he was like he had the promise to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations in my name. And so here it is. The responsibility of those who are saints, those who have the glory of Christ and the spirit of Christ and are with him for the hope of glory. The responsibility is that we would not just be where we are, but that we would go to all of the Gentile nations of the earth. That we would spread his fame, spread his glory, spread his reign, and through us as we go, the kingdom would come. See, the gospel was meant to multiply. The gospel was meant to multiply. That is, it is meant to spread the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. Everywhere we go, the hope of glory goes with us. He tells us there that Christ is in us. And then in verse 29, what does he say? Or verse 28, he says, we, mature, we present everyone mature in Christ. You see this? So Christ is with us and we are in Christ. There is a union between us and Christ because of the gospel. That's what Christ has accomplished. But that also means that the power of Christ 
the wisdom of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the glory of Christ, the strength of Christ, the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ is in us and with us wherever we go. We are able, through our union with Christ, to spread the glory of Christ anywhere we are as long as we are sent there. As long as we, with Isaiah, say, here I am, send me. Question might come into your mind. Present everyone mature in Christ? How are we supposed to go to our entire community? There are a hundred thousand people that live in Calhoun County. What are we supposed to do? Until we understand multiplication. You see, there's 400 of us here. There's 400 of us that attend regularly here at Iron City Baptist Church. And if each one of us lives on mission and connects one and disciples one and sends one out and they go and they go and they go, within a single generation, every person in the Chocolaca Valley, in fact, every person in Calhoun and Cleburne County can hear the gospel, know who Christ is, and make the decision of whether they will follow Christ or not. How are we supposed to go to Salt Lake City? You're talking about a major metropolitan center that is owned by the Mormon church. What are we supposed to do? What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to go over there and reach some couples. Just reach a, reach a few. Connect them in a church. They go and reach some. And then those re, they reach, go and reach. And those they reach, go. And within a generation, Salt Lake City can be set on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true scriptures, not some heresy that is condemning them to hell. What are we supposed to do in a third world country with the highest HIV infection rate in the world like Swaziland? What is the hope that we, a few people from rural Alabama, can do over there? What we can do is we can pour ourselves into the pastors and we can raise up faithful churches preaching the gospel. And they send out people who send out people who send out people. And within a generation, a king is overthrown and a new king is put on the throne. The Lord Jesus himself. It's multiplication. In his book, Transforming Discipleship, Greg Ogden, he makes an interesting comparison. See, see, when we think about going, when we, when we think about evangelism, most of us grew up in the 90s and 2000s to think about it from a church growth model, from a, a business corporation. So we put on large evangelistic events. We have cattle call invitations. People raise their hand, sign the paper, go through the baptistry, and live their lives and never come back to the church again. That, when we think of evangelism, that's typically what we think about, right? And we've all seen that. We've all witnessed that. Because what we think is, and the, and the intention in the heart is so pure, what we think is, is I need to reach as many as possible. I need to get this message out to as many as possible, as quickly as possible. And so we prioritize getting as little information as necessary to the maximum amount of people that we can. But I think the answer is the inverse. See, what he does is he compares, if you had a faithful evangelist, an effective evangelist, who shares the gospel every single day, and he wins at least one to the gospel every single day. That every year he would win 365 people to the And we need brothers and sisters like that. Praise God, right? But he's, at the same time, he compares that to one person who seeks to disciple two every year. And then those that he disciples, they go out and they disciple just one per year. So at the end of two years, the evangelist would have reached 730 people and the disciple maker would have reached four people. And you think, well, seems like the evangelist has, has the advantage. But that's where multiplication comes in. 
That's where multiplication outpaces the evangelist. Over 16 years, you know that the evangelist would have reached almost 6,000 people to God's glory. Praise his name, right? But the disciple maker at the same time, over that same period of time, would have reached 65,536 people. That's in half of a generation. Brothers and sisters, that's just one What if all of us went and all of us connected people to Christ and discipled people to Christ and went in the name of Christ for the glory of Christ? What if all of us lived on mission and said, here I am, send me. Iron City, we have a multiplying gospel and we must be a multiplying church. Naturalism, atheism, and secularism is spreading aggressively in our land like a metastasized cancer. And as wherever atheism, naturalism, and secularism go, hopelessness, despair, and pointlessness go with them. They offer no answers. They offer no hope. They offer no joy. And here we are with the hope of glory, Christ with us, and us in Christ. We cannot afford to stand pat. We must spread more aggressively than naturalism, more aggressive than atheism, more aggressively than secularism. All right, so let me ask you, why can't we go up and down the Highway 9 corridor and plant churches? Why, why can't we take 25, 50 of our people and go to Wadawi and go to, to, to Clay County and put a campus of Iron City right there, a place where financially they might not could sustain a gospel church, but where we can fund it there? Why can't we multiply ourselves throughout rural Alabama for the spread of the gospel? What would prevent 25 people from Iron City being sent to live with Life Point Church in Salt Lake City to help them get their church off the ground so that they might make disciples among the Mormons there? What if God used you to go and to plant churches in Swaziland or in Mexico? What if God used you? We must multiply ourselves. What's preventing us from having two, three services? You know, I pray every single day that we would have three services, two Sunday morning services and a Sunday night service, all the exact same service, so that we can fill in all of the people anxious to hear the gospel preached. What is preventing us? The only thing that is preventing us is whether or not we will go. Whether or not we will go. Whether or not we have the gospel vision of multiplication. Whether or not we will live with the courage that Christ is with us and that we are in Christ. Whether or not the Spirit of God is our hope, our security, and our confidence. Whether or not it is affluence and prosperity and easy living that we want. Or radical, courageous, gospel-centered, blessed living that we want. Iron City, we have a multiplying gospel and we must be a multiplying church. We must connect together, disciple one another, and go to everyone. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do the the time of response differently. In, In the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, he says, remember me. As you as you eat the bread, what does he say that is? This is my body which has been broken for you. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table together, what I invite you to do is to remember the body that was broken, that you might have hope, that you might be reconciled to Christ, but at the same time to ask, 
what does that mean for the body of Christ today? What does that mean for how my life should look today? As we drink of the cup, he says, remember, this is my blood that was poured out for you. It was his blood that let us see his glory. It was his blood that let us be ushered into the kingdom of God. It was his blood that was our propitiation. And it is our blood, right? For the propagation of the gospel. So as you come to the table this morning, Come thinking of how we come together and are connected together. Come now thinking about how Christ died, that you might be discipled in the faith. But think, 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 think how the table sends you out. How the table sends you out. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I would invite our deacons to come forward to present us the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.